Welcome to Ginspired, brought to you by theginshop.ca. This podcast will take you on a journey into the world of gin, where you'll experience this versatile spirit in ways you never thought possible. Now the host of Ginspired, Heather E. Wilson. Hello and welcome to Ginspired, where we talk about and celebrate everything about the wonderful juniper lace spirit called gin. I'm your host, Heather E. Wilson, and on today's episode, I welcome Jeffrey A. McGuire, who also goes by Jam. He's a gin enthusiast from Germany, a performer, and he runs a strategic communication company as his day job. Today, we chat about his love of gins, how he incorporates that into his life. We're going to take a peek at his gin shelf. We're going to share some cocktails. And of course, there's going to be a gincident or two. Welcome, Jam. Oh, yes, there have been gincidents. Yep. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay, but first, as with all episodes, let's start by sharing what we are drinking today. And, Jam, you get to go first. What's in your cup? So, I am virtually drinking because it's about 40 minutes too early in the day. And I have probably, I don't know, a couple hours of work still to get through. I am preparing for a dinner party with some friends on the weekend Ooh. and over here in Europe the spritz is really popular if you know Aperol and fizzy wine a little bit of water and olive some ice and then also the Hugo is very popular you must know the Hugo right so what I'm thinking basically is somewhere in between those two I'm going to do a gin and tonic with mint leaves or I have to taste it still myself but like a gin with some Prosecco and then a splash of blackberry infused gin that Mm -hmm. I made in the summer yeah Mm -hmm. so like a rose colored Hugo that's what I'm drinking today oh a hint of blackberry on it yes blackberry is coming into popularity again right now for sure okay well I'm not quite as fancy (laughs) But I'm having an Earl Grey Martini, which is Earl Grey infused gin, because I, like you, I love infusing my gins. It's got a little bit of lemon juice, a little simple syrup, egg whites, of course, where you just rim that glass a little bit of sugar and a garnish with a lemon twist. And it's super yummy if you are into Earl Grey, of course. And people can find it actually on page 227 of Ginspired, the Ultimate Gin Cookbook. So there's a little plug. Oh, yes. That sounds fantastic. Delicious. Okay. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Awesome. Okay. Let's get into our conversation and chat about you first. Okay. So did you always love gin? Did you grow up with it? Like, where's your first memory with gin? You know, as a kid, I remember family events, neighborhood parties, camping trips. And I remember rinks floating around, but none of it really made an impression on me. You know, my grandfather loved wine and one of my uncles served in the military in Germany and came back with all this knowledge about the German wine thing. But I didn't care as a kid. I really didn't care as a kid. But I remember sometime during puberty when I was probably not fully technically legal where I was growing up. I grew up in New Zealand. I remember tasting a gin and tonic the first time and it felt like the sun came out. I have a picture in my mind of the kitchen in our old house, which was basically ringed with windows on three sides and the sun streaming in and me standing there kind of holding this thing and it was fluorescing blue in the light and just like feeling like I was starting to glow the same color. So 
Yes, I have always liked it as long as I was aware of it and interested in it. And it's been my favorite and my go-to for far more years than I care to admit. (laughs) Awesome. So you have your current day job which I'm sure takes up most of your time, but I know that you also do some really cool things with your gin. So tell us about how you incorporate your love of gin into your life. Right. So I am an enthusiastic urban forager and where I live in Cologne, Germany, within reasonable distance. So that either means walking or biking or with public transit I know where to get a bunch of different things. Sometimes we can get ramps, you know, the wild garlic in the spring. I know where there are some, there's a word for it, I'm not sure what it is, but there are orchards planted that are supposed to be, you know, they're just public orchards, essentially. So I know where there are apples and walnuts that are publicly accessible and some that are on some private bits of land that I know how to get to. I know where all of the good blackberry patches are on both sides of the Rhine River for several kilometers in either direction of where I am. Those are my main bits. I have friends who collect some other things, but I love making a good infused gin and it started with slow gin. My mother lives in the south of England where, boy, I hope I get this right. It's the pawthorn, I think. It's sometimes a tree and sometimes a bush. And it's essentially a variety of plum. And the slow, S-L-O-E, is this fruit about the size of an olive. And it grows here as well. I've just never picked them here. And it's a very acerbic, very tiny plum. And it's mostly stone. But if you pierce these, and then in Britain, the tradition is you fill a bottle about a third full of these pierced little plums that you collect in October, November, and then you put in a certain amount of sugar, and then you fill it up with gin. By the time it gets to Christmas, it's this ruby, wonderfully colored stuff, and you can just drink it straight. I also love a slow gin fizz, though, which is one jigger of slow gin, one jigger of regular gin, simple syrup to taste, add fizzy water. And ice, boom, oh. So I discovered slow gin basically by making it the first time. And I've done that several times. And I've even done it with dried slows, which you can order online. So then over the years, I have consistently started making cranberry gin in about November when the cranberries appear in the stores. And all of these are really, really easy to do. Take a liter bottle, (laughs) take a bunch of cranberries and poke holes in them with a fork or whatever. And I don't know, a third full, almost half full of these. Put in sugar, look it up online, do it to your own taste. And then for the cranberry gin, I put in organic orange peel into that and then fill up the bottle with gin and leave that, in this case, till Christmas. So just a couple months. And then a lot of people say, then you strain it out and keep it like it is. But if you're going to, I don't know, show it off at the table or like have a Christmas dinner party or a, I know Canadian Thanksgiving is a little early, but like, I don't know, if you're going to have it with friends anytime between November and January, it might even be nice to just like serve it from this bottle with all the fruit and everything going on in it. But otherwise, filter it out, keep the stuff and it lasts for a while because it's just alcohol and sugar, right? Right. So slow gin was my introduction into that world. And then cranberry orange peel gin. Then in the spring, I make rhubarb gin. And that might even be the best one of all if you can get rhubarb. Same procedure, do it with bits of rhubarb. It's like a rhubarb pie gin and tonic when you drink it. It is so good. And use it for gin and tonic. And it's so good. And then there's a traditional one from Britain that I've never made, but I have a couple bottles because a friend gave me them. There's a thing called the Damson Plum, and it's a proper plum-sized plum, and you can do it with that. So I love all of those. I love, love, love those. And the other thing that I do that is not quite gin, am I allowed to talk about a not quite gin? 
Of course. Or not at all, Jin. Yes, so, of course. <laughs> so this is super cool. If you know somebody who has a walnut tree, you need to watch the walnuts. And when it gets to, in a quote-unquote normal year in the Northern Hemisphere, the Italians say to pick the green walnuts on June the 20th. And the idea with the walnut, the fruit that has the walnut inside it, right, mm -hmm. is getting to its ripest and most fragrant. And if you've never smelled a, what a green walnut smells like, it's like a Christmas spice that you've never, ever smelled before. It's this incredible spicy floral it's this really intensely beautiful smell that is not cinnamon and it's not cloves and it's not anise but it's like mm. over in that zone and it's amazing so 24th of june they're very fragrant and usually it's before the shell starts forming inside so if you put a pin through it there's no resistance but you know if it's been a hot spring it might be a week earlier and you know it might be a week later but it's around the 24th of june and i do two things with them one of them i make a pickle recipe where I brine them for 20 days in brine and then throw all that out and make a boil of vinegar mixture with sugar and ginger and mustard and pepper and cloves. And I don't remember a lot of things. I can send you the recipe and then cover the green walnuts in this brine and leave it for a couple of months. And then they're black as night, reasonably ugly and suspicious looking, but you can slice them and then have them with cheese or like mix them into mayonnaise. And it is incredible. Closer to your heart, you can also take 30 of them, poke holes in them, put them in a bottle with a mixture of like, so in Italy, you can buy grain alcohol quite easily because people cook with it and make cakes with it. So it's a grain alcohol water mixture with sugar. And then depending on your family and your tradition, cloves, cinnamon, a vanilla bean or not. And you infuse this alcohol and you turn it into this liqueur called nocino. And it comes out somewhere between like a super dark green and like a Coca-Cola brown. And it is nutty and it's sweet and you can pour it on ice cream. You can drink it like it is. You have to leave it a whole year to infuse before you can even try it. Oh, so wow. right now in my basement, I have my 2009, I have my 2013, I have two different recipes I did in 2014. I think I have a 2019 and I just put down like 30 small bottles of it for this year that I can't touch until next summer. And this stuff is called Nocino and it is amazing. It's mm. really extraordinary. So if you and Carl were good little Canadians, maybe Santa Claus will figure out how to put a couple bottles of that in the mail. <laughs> Ooh, that would be amazing. Yeah. That would be. Yeah, it's really cool stuff. I know it's off topic, but so all of this infusing mm -hmm. making, yeah. I guess it started because I made limoncello and I still do that occasionally. I haven't done it recently, but limoncello is lemon yeah. zest infused in raw alcohol. And then you mix the syrup in after it. And it's very, everybody knows it nowadays, I guess. Yeah. Italian stuff. Yeah. We use it quite a bit <laughs> too. So for your slow gin and some of your other infused gins, do you have a particular go-to gin like are you using a traditional london dry like what are you using or is it always yes yes exactly so limoncello and nocino i make with grain alcohol but all the infused gins i start with a gin and i wanted to say that i use what i consider it's like my base level gin but it's also my most underrated gin. And I don't know how this will make me look to a connoisseur like you and your audience. But, <laughs> it doesn't um, you, know, you know what really does the job? Gordon's gin. I knew you were going to say regular, that. I knew it. You knew it? Right. Yeah. Regular. It's low mid price. It's clean. It's good. It's high quality. It's full of juniper. There's nothing wrong with it. Right? So 
Yeah, I use it too to infuse. If I'm infusing, I'll often use a base Gordon's or a Tangeray if I'm really feeling the the mood. Now, since we're there, Tangeray is my favorite, like, regular gin. It's my favorite. It's my number one regular Tangeray. Not number 10, not the special editions. Tangeray is with that juniper laser beam that, like, just hits you, like, boom, that's yeah. gin for me. It's like the number one. I love that stuff. Oh, yes. With Indian tonic. That's my thing. I'm basic that way. <laughs> now, I remember you asked me as we were preparing this, you said I should figure out my top three gins. So Tanqueray, regular Tanqueray is my favorite, favorite, favorite. I think that my second favorite is probably Sipsmith London Dry. Ooh, very good. Yes. Yeah. Have you tried? Do you know Sipsmith? Of course. Yeah. I had the great privilege of traveling to London a lot for business and I discovered it there and it's hard to get here in Germany and it's very, very clean to me and it's a regular gin gin. So plenty of juniper and all that stuff. And it's a London one as well. Right. And it's not a Western style and it's not a, all these other things because I like a gin mare and I like a soul and I like all these weird things and then put a rosemary in it or put an almond in it and all these stories. They're super fun. But the Sipsmith is a floral, has like a really nice floral layer on top of yeah. The basic juniper that I want. And yeah, and I have one bottle on my shelf right now that is still closed and I am not ready to open it yet because, you know, travel has been so hard for that. We're talking in late 2022 in real time and travel is not what it used to be, right? Mm, I mean, nope, I agree. So Tanqueray, regular, Sipsmith, and then there's so many good things that I'm so happy to drink in third place. But if it's at my house, mm. if we're ignoring all the special bottles, there's probably a Gordon's lying around waiting for the next infusion. And if I'm unwilling to open something special, then that one gets open for the gin and tonics, no problem. Right. Good. Okay. So you said Gordon's is the most underrated. What are your most yeah. special ones, your coolest ones on your shelf? Okay. So for the People watching back home, Heather can't see this, but I'm sending her some photos later that are probably going to be in the post or the show notes or whatever. I have a bottle of Rusty Blade Gin made in California, and it got 93 points in the 2012, like some very important US spirits competition. And it's a barrique gin. So it's like a light brown, like almost not quite a bourbon color, but it's brown. And a friend of mine bought it and brought it back for me on a trip years ago. And he said to me, this is the most expensive bottle of booze I've ever bought. I hope you enjoy it. And with that in mind, I've never been willing to open it. So that's a special occasion one, which I haven't had. I just bought a bottle of honey-infused gin from a beekeeping outfit. And I'm quite excited. Do you have cocktail tips for that one? Keep it simple. Because the honey can overpower if you're not careful. Yeah, you want to balance it out with something not, you know, maybe on the slight bitter side or a more herbal. Yeah. What about like a sprig of thyme yes. or rosemary? Yes. Perfect. That would be interesting. Yes. Thyme. Okay. Um, I will yeah. report back. Look into the camera for a second. Do yep. you see this yep. weird looking green label yes. bottle? Yes. This says, I'll read it to you. Sir Robert Burnett's white satin established 1770, the celebrated London dry gin made according to the original formula and then in Italian, it says, prodotto e bottigliato all'origine, blah, 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 blah. This bottle of gin, it's sealed and it has the original Italian state tax seal still intact wow. on it. And 
we don't know how old this bottle is. I think it's from the 60s. And I think it could be the cheapest thing ever, you know, and yeah. supermarket stuff yeah. or whatever. It's a total mystery bottle and it's really old. And I'm trying to figure out how to date the codes on the tax label. Right. I don't know how to do it yet. But towards the end of his life, he's passed away now, luckily before the pandemic. We were cleaning some things out and he said, yeah, anything in the basement, like on that side, just take it and whatever. And I got this and some other things. And I'm completely fascinated by it because I'm sure it's old and it could be super dubious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, never know. Or, or amazing. So one of the gincidents, right, yes. that I wanted to talk about was Armando was, among other things, uh, qualified as a sommelier and loved wine and had a very good palate and made some of his own. And he was Italian. He's Italian. And at some point, he visited us a lot in the last, especially in the last decade of his life after my mother-in-law passed away. She couldn't travel so much. She was in a wheelchair. And then she passed away and he made up for a lot of lost time and we took him on vacation or whatever. And at our house, we offered him a gin and tonic at some point. And he said, no, no, thanks a couple of times. And then he explained like, oh no, I only drink wine or I have beer when I'm thirsty and no, 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 And then finally he tried one and he was like, oh. the man was 83, 85 at the time. Mm. He's like, oh, oh, goodness. Wow. This is incredible. You know, and would he like another one? Yes, please. Yeah. And then, you know, for the last few years of his life, when we were somewhere together, I mean, you know, he was like very old school. He would always have a beer at lunch. He would always have wine with the meal kind of thing. For the last few years of his life, he had a bunch of gin and tonics, especially with us. And he would always say, oh, thank you so much. You taught me how to drink gin. I didn't know how to drink it before. Mm. And, you know, without the tonic, it's just really not the same. <laughs> and it was so sweet and he really really loved it it's so funny you taught me how to drink it such a funny thing to say uh, <laughs> it is that was his bottle okay. i have a bavarian dry gin in limited edition and the bavarian dry gins i've had several and they've almost all had that kind of gasoline petrol overtone in them are you familiar with that flavor yeah so i haven't tried this one yet but the bavarian style uh, we'll see there's my bottle of Sipsmith. Now, here's a special bottle that I have on my shelf. It is a Tanqueray limited edition. It's the Bloomsbury. Wow, we don't have that available here. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I bought that several years ago, and I don't know what's going to convince me to open it. It was the first time I ever saw a Tanqueray edition. So I think the Tanqueray number 10 is fine, but I don't think I need to pay the premium on it because I love the regular Tanqueray so much. And then I tried the Rangpur Lime when it came out about ooh, 2014, and that's also perfectly okay. And then here last year, they did a triple release where it was like they did several orange and black currant yeah. and the Rangpur Lime again. Yeah. And I was really excited about the Seville Orange, and it took me months to get my hands on a bottle. And I thought it was a real letdown. It really tasted like, not like orange, you know, gummy bears, but not that great either. if you have so. uh, like an orange popsicle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I'm not a fan of the orange, but I do have to admit, I really like the Rangpur. It's kind of one of my major go-tos because I like a heavy citrus. Nice. I like that citrus note. Oh, yeah. And then it's black currant, right? Not blackberry. I think it's black yeah, currant. Right. Black yeah. Currant. That one's really tasty too, but only like once in a while. Like I would never have it as like my go-to kind of thing. I grew up in New Zealand and the typical 
thing that you give to kids to drink is called Ribena. And Ribena is blackcurrant syrup that you mix in water. And kids drink it hot when they have a cold and they drink it cold when, you know, you just like as a thing that you give kids. And I had too much. And I just don't enjoy blackcurrant anymore. I can't, can't <laughs> yeah, do blackcurrant, too much of so. anything will do that to you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Last two special bottles here. I have, and it's in a beautiful cardboard box. It says Sister's Gin. Oh, and it's deep. made in Venice, Italy. And the botanicals are all collected around the Venice Lagoon. It is light and it is very, very floral. And it's quite delightful if you like that kind of thing. It's a little low on juniper for me. And somebody gave me this completely black bottle that says regenerate on the side. <laughs> Artisan gin made the slow way. It's made in Germany. And I am really, really interested in trying it. It's also 49%. So between cask and, Mm -hmm. you know, regular. So that's quite exciting. Nice. Okay. Well, let's move on to your next. I know you have some really cool gincidents. So what's your Uh, next uh, gincident story? So the first one was with my father-in-law. This is the one and a half incident. So in our circle of friends, we had several editions of a party that we called the Gin Palace Party. And so a gin palace party, the way that we did it was essentially a buffet of Indian food and a buffet of gins. I need to come to that. (laughs) Now, so it's very similar to a Burns night where we would make the haggis and the neeps and the tatties and then have like the single malt bottles lined up in order of strength and, you know, whatever, like an order to taste them in kind of thing. We had all this stuff out and then, you know, had some G&Ts and probably started the night with a slow gin fizz and stuff. But depending on how long the party went and how kind of, you know, deranged things got, I distinctly remember our friend Beth saying, oh, we're out of drinks. Okay, I'll figure it out. And she got a pitcher and she made a cocktail on the spot, just like flailing around in the kitchen. And it definitely gin and something fizzy that I don't even know if it was wine or water and honey and, you know, some herbs and like all mixed up and then a little bit sweet. And then like we passed that around and then somebody made something else. And so that's a super fun party idea. And um, I would suggest, depending on the people that you have in your life, you could also say like, hey, we're going to have a Hugo and then we're going to have a this and then we're going to do mm. that and like do five different things as a tasting yeah. or something. But the Indian food and the gin and tonics was always a super, super, super good idea. And the deepest, most meaningful gin incident happened at one of the gin. Pa- oh, I wanted to tell you, do you know what a gin palace is? Nope. So still today in Belfast, there are certain kinds of bars that are called gin palaces. And in Victorian times, when gin was fashionable, all over Great Britain, it was a certain kind of a bar and obviously with a focus on serving gin. And it was called a gin palace, not a pub or whatever. So one time at one of these gin palaces, relatively spontaneously, a friend of a friend showed up with her boyfriend and she knew what it was about. And she brought a bottle with her. And she is a Russian filmmaker. And today, as of 2022, when the war broke out in February with Ukraine, when Russia invaded Ukraine, she fled to relatives she has in Georgia. And she's had to leave like all her equipment and all her hard drives. And it's all sitting in Moscow. And she's sort of an exile right now. And it's all very dramatic. She's made a documentary about someone I know. And anyway, very, very, 
very interesting Russian intellectual artist, really interesting person. She shows up with somebody and she brings a bottle to this party and it's a uh, Ruski standard high-end Russian vodka, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. But, you know, we're having a gin palace party. So I'm just going to put this over here and then I'm going to make you guys a gin and tonic. What do you like? And, you know, do you like this and that? And I made him gin and tonics and I made myself one. I had had, I'm sure I'd had more than one. <laughs> yeah. And this is this incredibly, I mean, she's tiny. I mean, tiny. I don't know how many Eastern Europeans you know, but there's, you know, a real intellectual and a real, you know, all these things. <laughs> so we're talking and back and forth. And she and her friend, boyfriend, cameraman, I don't remember who she had with her. They were like sipping. Um, this is a visual joke for the podcast. Yes. like taking really small sips and kind of talking and being part of the thing. But like making really polite faces about mm. the drinks. And sipping really slowly. And I noticed after a while, and I was like, hey, Anya, listen, what do you think of the gin and tonic? And she looks me right in the eye. She goes, I grew up in the forest. My father, he is carpenter. He worked with wood. We live far away from many people. In the middle of the pine trees. And this tastes like drinking my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was, oh shall we open the vodka you brought yes please <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't have a good childhood obviously then <laughs> this tastes like drinking my childhood <laughs> and i wish i could actually remember her exact words but it was a very powerful moment and it was a very polite way to say this is not really to my taste <laughs> and it's not for everyone especially if you Growing up, only ever having one particular spirit. I mean, we do convert mm. some people, but we can't always convert everyone. You know? It's okay, because then yeah. there's more for us, right? That is true. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, well, we're getting close to our time here. Is there anything else that you want to say about anything? Thank you for inviting me. It's really, really lovely to talk with you. And really nice and different way to spend an hour of my day. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for being here. I would be remiss if I didn't give a shameless plug for what I do and how people can get in touch with me. I'm a co-founder of a strategic communications company called Open Strategy Partners, and we do strategic communication and marketing for technology organizations. Um, And my Twitter handle is at Horn Cologne. The company Twitter is at open underscore strategy. If Twitter doesn't exist by the time you're listening to this <laughs> thing, openstrategypartners.com. If you have any questions about that, I'm always happy to talk about work. So that's my shameless plug. Yeah, no worries. And it'll all be in the show notes. So we can put all nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, no worries. Fantastic. Okay, there you have it. Everything you wanted to know about jam, creating gin fusions, foraging, some really tasty and interesting gins some really fun gincident stories, and so much more. Thank you so much, Jam, for being here today and sharing your passion for gin with me. Thank you so much. And here's to drinking our childhoods. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And thank you for listening. Be sure to leave us a review and check out the show notes for links to Jam, our Patreon, and theginshop.ca for all your gin clothing and novelty needs. Until next time, remember, there comes a time in the day when no matter what the question, the answer 
is Jen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ginspired, brought to you by theginshop.ca. If we've ginspired you, let us know by leaving us a comment and a review. Or drop us a note at heather at theginshop.ca. We may even read your email or feature your ginspirational story in an upcoming episode. And remember to follow us on social media. Until next time, let the party be ginned.